Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett, and Brian is missing in action, making fresh pasta somewhere. We miss you. Uh, This is the podcast where we try to bend the motherfucking arc of history towards a more livable planet for you, for me, and everyone else. Uh, We are going to dive into a specific question affecting everyone on the planet right now. If it can kill us, make the future a hell of a lot cooler for everyone, uh, we are in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, fruit pickers, astronauts, even a reverend. And we work together over the course of the conversation towards action steps. You, our listeners, can take with your voice, your vote, and your dollar. Uh, Some housekeeping items. This is your friendly reminder. You can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. Uh, we always love hearing from you. Uh, you can also join tens of thousands of other smart humans and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. And finally, uh, the new jazz. If you prefer your podcasts without ads or you love our fun talk episodes for some reason, or you want your weekly newsletter delivered in audio form by Brian, you can head to importantnotimportant.com slash shitgiver to help support our work and get your hands on all those items for just five bucks a month. This week's episode is about building a blueprint for fighting food waste in your city. Our guest is Rick Namias, and he has spent the past decade plus uh, harvesting the bounty that is Los Angeles's fresh fruit and vegetables and getting it to the organizations feeding the many, many, many people in Southern California who cannot otherwise afford it. Uh, this conversation was very illuminating, and I hope it um, points you in the direction of uh, contributing or working with an organization such as his, uh, wherever you might live, uh, to to help get uh, some of this food out of the landfills, out of your trash can, and and into the hands of of people who need it, because there's there sure is a hell of a lot. So please enjoy this. It's really awesome and inspiring, and um, can't wait to hear from you. Uh, about how you feel about it. Let's go talk to Rick. Our guest today is Rick Namias, and together we're going to find out, uh, kind of try to put together a blueprint on how to wage war on food waste in your city, starting with one of the more complicated ones here in Los Angeles. Rick, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Quinn. For sure. Uh, Rick, tell us real quick who you are and what you do. I am the founder and executive director of a nonprofit in LA called Food Forward. And what we do is we recover surplus produce uh, that would otherwise go to waste and get it to people in need. Uh, It's that simple. Uh, And we also inspire others to do the same. Uh, It's a nonprofit that I started about 11 years ago. And it was, again, one of those accidental left turns in life that ended up yielding probably the most rewarding career years and life years I've, I've had on this planet hmm. in the sense of being able to see a very simple action yield huge results and huge benefits for people uh, with multiple wins across the board and, and no downside that we could see at this point. So it's been a journey personally and professionally that every day I, I feel grateful for and you know get to see the benefits of in real time, which is a, a rare thing in nonprofit. You know, often you're waiting years uh, to see the results of, of something you're doing take effect. This is like sure. get produce, give it to someone who needs it, problem solved. You're, you're dealing 
and solving two issues with one action. One is fighting hunger, and the other one is preventing food waste and uh, greenhouse gases going into the environment. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, that's amazing. And it, I mean, the things you're, the, the food you were rescuing literally has a shelf life. So you'd better see a pretty quick return on it. Otherwise, it's all going bad. Absolutely. It ha- not only has a shelf life, but it's also some of the hardest food for agencies that feed the hungry to procure. Partly is the perishability, but partly is the price and not having the mechanisms to do it. Um, when I started noodling around at the idea, I'm a bit of a research nerd. And I, I said to myself, well, A, I don't want to solve a problem that people are already trying to solve. And what I realized at the time is there were well over a thousand nonprofits that fed people in LA County alone, wow. but there was not a single agency that was funneling like in a B2B service, mm. fresh produce. And fresh produce is really the golden ring. Why? Because it's hard to come by, but it also has a great ability to affect the health of people who are underserved, people who are living on Jack and bu- Jack in the Box dollar meals. You know, if they can be getting spaghetti squash and broccoli and oranges for free uh, and some assistance on how to use those mm-hmm. on a regular basis, you actually can start to see heart disease and all kinds of other things um, change. And so what we what I realized early on is that there were just, again, multiple wins um, in the process because these are agencies that are, you know, they're boys and girls clubs and they're immigrant organizations mm-hmm. and they're just your basic food pantry. And often they are reliant on a USDA type of allotment. And when they get those, they're basically your basics, onions, potatoes, carrots, sure. and maybe a little bit of fruit at the right time. Living in LA, and I'm, a, I'm virtually an LA native, um, one thing we take for granted here and we don't see is how much fruit and um, produce grows in our native environment. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you flash back a hundred years uh, and even up into the 1940s, LA was the most productive county in the whole fucking country mm-hmm. as far as agriculture. It's, you got to kind of wrap your mind around that. Sure. You know, before they paved over, and put up all these strip malls, they were citrus orchards, they were avocado orchards, they were walnut orchards. Literally where I live in my on my home property, we just unfortunately had to take it down, but it was like one of those vintage walnut trees that produced and produced for like 80 years. And so we take that stuff for granted. And again, for me, the uh, Isaac, you know, I guess call it, you know, California Isaac Newton moment for me, was walking my neighborhood with my dog, a scout who was getting older and slower. And, you know, you don't want to rush your dog. You don't want to, you don't want to not have these moments with them, but the walks are much more labored. And so you're like looking around and you're realizing, oh my God, well, this, this person's got like a loaded tangerine tree and there's no one harvesting it. And you come back three, four days later and there's more tangerines and you start seeing the squirrels are getting them or they're under the tires of a truck that's parked there. And you're like, you know what? That fruit is going nowhere. And at the same time, what I was seeing on the news was this this massive recession that was just overtaking the country. You know, it was just like an unavoidable tidal wave of, of people falling into financial distress. And I literally was seeing about a mile from my house lines forming at food pantries that were not dissimilar to the Great Depression. You know, and at like, wait a minute, you've got this resource right. and you've got this need. Why don't we connect the two? Right, it's a two-sided and, market. 
Yeah. And again, so it was like, I, I literally put an ad on Craigslist in the days of Craigslist. Sure. And uh, I got about, I don't know, about a half dozen replies. And one person showed up at my driveway on the on a dedicated day. And we marched over to, uh, to, to a Costco. We dumpster dove for some boxes and then went over to my friend's house about a block and a half away and started harvesting her tangerines. And it was pretty novel. You know, by the end of that one day, a couple of big things happened. We, we had almost 100 pounds of citrus, you know, yeah. and that's, that's a lot of that's a lot more food than I'll ever eat. And it was very beautifully laid out in boxes. So you could really see, okay, this is something that could benefit a number of people. But I think the big thing for me, Quinn, was that I got to climb this tree, which was a really great tangerine tree. It was right next mm-hmm. to it. It didn't have a tree house in it, but it might as well. It was one of these great branches, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these little vistas. And like 15 feet up in the air, I'm doing this harvesting, which I was a complete novice at. But I was looking out at the neighbors and the neighbor next to us had grapefruits and the neighbor beyond them had avocados and then behind us had lemons. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't a one day event. This could actually be much bigger than that. And so it took uh, three weeks to harvest my friend Heather's yard because the tangerines were robust and she also had a navel orange tree. Mm-hmm. We did those those two trees alone yielded 800 pounds of citrus. My God. And so that's one backyard that would have, again, most, maybe 10% of that would have ended up at her yoga studio or something sure. now, yeah. but the rest of it would have gone to squirrels or rats or just withered and dropped. Sure. And at the same time, when you think about it, as, as much as I love my, you know, nice markets and farmer's markets, this, this food was harvested at 10 in the morning on a Saturday and was handed out at 1 PM to people in need. That's incredible. It's like the freshest freaking produce you can get. Sure, sure. So it was like, again, another like check that box of why this is a worthwhile activity. Yeah. And and I I got the sense of being like a five-year-old again. I was climbing a tree and I was right. free. I was off my phone. I was out of the office. I was, I was just doing something that was completely, I, I can't call it completely selfless because I was getting benefit from it personally, but it was in service of somebody else. Sure. It was in service of a greater good. And so the idea really caught fire and I, I started posting little events on bulletin boards like at a Starbucks and I, I asked the pantry, which was about three miles from my house, mm-hmm. if they could send me any volunteers and it just kind of started rippling out and we found within about three months that we had a homeowner in Chatsworth, which is an, what was an old farming community. Ironically, it's where people like Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz had country homes mm-hmm. in the old days. Mm-hmm. And so there are these large estates, which are now gated, and they had many, many fruit trees. And there was one couple there that was really a centric couple that I've stayed in touch with, who are big, big fruit donors of ours, had 200 orange trees. Oh, my God. And they didn't know what the fuck to do with the trees. Sure. Which is fair. They couldn't harvest you know? them. Yeah. They, they loved, everyone loves the visual of, you know, that abundance. And I, I want to talk more about that concept because yeah. it's really yeah, what we'll it is about. But they didn't know what to do and they were overwhelmed with it. So I went over, took a look and I'm like, you know what? I think I could make a party out of this. If we got the right people and the right equipment and the right sense of this being a celebratory kind of sharing of abundance, Mm -hmm. this could be something much bigger than just, and and it could be done, right? So we we did that. We put out notices and, and lo and behold, we got about 50 people to show up. Uh, we added a potluck picnic in the middle of the day. We did a morning session. We had lunch. We did a second session. And by the end of the day, 
Uh, we even had a newspaper drop by to document it, which was priceless. <laughs> and uh, we ended up with 5,000 pounds of fresh oranges off this property. Wow. That's amazing. And yeah, it was. And that was like, to me, the big aha moment. It was like three months into doing this. I suddenly had a new core of volunteers, um, two people who became like co-leaders of what became Food Forward mm -hmm. showed up that day and said, what can I do? This is an amazing idea and I want to be part of it. Sure. And I, I also got a sense for me personally, kind of finding my tribe. Mm -hmm. um, I am, you know, uh, uh, an out gay man. I had, I had partly done this initial harvesting out of uh, feeling very alienated after the 2008 election, where although I was very active on the Obama campaign and felt wonderful about his election, mm -hmm. I got the slap in the face of Prop 8 being voted into existence sure. and having my marriage nullified in a matter of moments. And so I was really trying to like say, okay, how do I turn the cheek here? You know, how do I do something good and not get sucked into another cycle of cynicism, which I had carried through the, the last administration and which, which fired up my social justice photography, which was great because it was kind of a, a muse for that, sure, if you will. Sure. It was a tension that I needed to, to react to. But I, I wanted to do something hopeful. I wanted to do something that was community-based. And I wanted to carry on the optimism of what I felt would be coming in the you know eight years ahead. And so it was really a pleasure to find people that wanted to get in a sandbox, that wanted to build the sandbox and wanted to hang out and do, do these harvests. We would, we would take the oranges that fell or that were ripped or broken and go make mimosas after and get blasted. And, Great. you know, so sure. there was like this new, this new sense of like, yeah, we can do good and we can party. We can, we can create new cocktails from this grapefruit that, that you know, right. that is, is here. But it was very much about an immediate, unadulterated, and really simple equation. Take from abundance and give to need, you know, um, and do it with uh, a feeling of, of gifting. Sure. And it was, it was something that was new to me, mm -hmm. but the moment it started happening, there was and remains every single day this, this feeling of being a change agent. And actually just being a bridge and letting that abundance pass through the organization to where it's needed and using our expertise to help direct it, to find blind spots, to find organizations that might not have the infrastructure to reach out sure. to us. You know, and I'm really, really proud to say that in our whole first year of volunteer powered, no budget, no money, nothing, we still did about 100,000 pounds of backyard fruit, That's which is was pretty staggering. It's pretty awesome, man. And well, listen, and if you, I'm excited yeah. to dig into to dig into all that. I want to talk about how you guys evolved in this in this crazy city of ours here. Uh, I just sure. want to take a quick step back and provide a little context for folks. We've done a couple uh, food waste episodes, which uh, is important um, uh, because it's clearly a, a big nightmare, and, and and we'll get into that first. Um, uh, but just I want to do a quick little primer to remind people because it is it is when people talk about climate change or 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 clean energy or or artificial intelligence all the shit we cover uh, sometimes it's understandable how how it might not be uh, as far as they are, they think uh, affecting them on a day to day level but food waste is something that we're all directly interacting with on a day to day level but uh, so I just want to do a quick little primer just to remind folks about the scope of what we're we're dealing with here. Because um, it is truly massive and it's very complicated. 
And there's some very obvious remedies like you've talked about today, this two-sided market. But there are some issues that aren't so simple. And some of the fixes are Mm -hmm. repeatable across major cities and countries and localities, and some are not. Just a reminder, there are three ways that we all blow it all the way through the supply chain. Agricultural waste on the farm, during the harvest, on people's fruit trees. Um, Number two, at the store or at the restaurant. We don't, none of us pick the ugly fruit uh, or we order too much food. And three at home, uh, we buy too much food and we throw away what we don't eat or is labeled as best buy or expired. Um, You've done it. I've done it. We all blow it every day, but we can get better. And some of us are doing that, uh, but it helps to know how to do it. Um, And a reminder, why is food waste all that bad? Uh, One is, uh, it's really two reasons. We have enough food for everyone, but because of the waste, there's millions of people without access to food. And two, food waste in landfills releases methane, which I believe the technical term is like a clusterfuck. It is, it is very, it is very, very bad. You think carbon dioxide is bad? Not even close. America wastes about 30 million tons of food every year. It's about a third of our food uh, when at least uh, estimates say about 15% of our citizens struggle to put food regularly on the table. One in nine Californians struggles for food. Uh, and correct me on uh, on any of these LA numbers if I'm off, um, please. Uh, but as far as I could tell, about a million tons of food goes into LA's landfills every year. We are, uh, it is a complicated county and city. Uh, we are plagued by a rising homelessness and, and poverty and general unaffordability. Uh, we have the largest number of food insecure people in the country. Um, and, and we are losing ground on the inequality and the homelessness, but we are making some strides in food waste. Uh, for instance, in uh, 2017, LA Times report said LAUSD kids were throwing out about $100,000 or 600 tons of organic waste every day. So then Governor Brown uh, signed a law that said school campuses can collect unopened items and untouched fruit and donate them to food banks. That was, uh, you know, heresy uh, before that. And there are amazing organizations, like you said. There's so many here in town working to feed the hungry and to, and to fight food waste. And we're going to get to those. But, you know, we, we do have a long way to go relative to some of these other major cities. Uh, San Francisco, who, I mean, clearly is not perfect by any stretch. They've got their own issues. Um, they mandated composting, uh, consumer composting, all the way back in 20, 2009. Um, but, of course, you know, we're, we're very different cities. But you look around and, and South Korea has gone from recycling 2% of their food to something like 95%. Um, there's been technological breakthroughs, uh, back in episode 44. I don't know if you've heard of these guys. Have you ever heard of appeal sciences? Yeah. Yeah. I actually listened to your, uh, oh, your great, interview perfect, with great. their CEO. That, that, it yeah, just no, blows Peel's your fucking doing mind. really great stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, absolutely. It just, it's, you're just like, oh, oh my God, like that, that is such a game changer. Um, not nearly as, uh, as immediately effective as, as clearly what you guys, uh, do every single day. But the long-term game uh, for for the consumer side of food waste could be could be huge, and it's going to take technological and governmental and private and civic participation to solve this problem. Um, good news is, uh, like appeal, like with talking to you guys, we're action focused, and that's what I want to talk about today. Which is what a city like Los Angeles is doing with its food, how and where it's wasted, how we're attacking it, uh, many different ways, and and what more can be done. So, I did want to kind of pivot slightly, which is. I've been trying to hone in on a number for the past few days that best encapsulates the work you do week in and week out at, at Food Forward. And, and your website says you rescue, and correct me if I'm wrong, 435,000 pounds of fresh food a week. Is that correct? 
It's actually higher. It's higher now. Um, and I, I kind of, what I uh, had, had said at the end of the last bit, that in our first year, we did about 100,000 pounds right, of right. produce in the year. We now do about 100,000 pounds a day. Oh my God. That's so just... that's, that's how we've grown. And it's not all backyard fruit by any sure, stretch. Sure. We've added two other programs. Uh, we added a farmer's market recovery program, mm-hmm. which is at 25 markets every week. Right. We do that with uh, Glean Team Leads that basically uh, anyone can volunteer. They can find them on our website at uh, foodforward.org mm-hmm. and um, basically uh, put in your zip code and find one of those market events and be part of that process, which is pretty great because it brings you closer to the farmers. It brings you sure. closer to the source and your own neighborhood and the, and the community agencies that need the help as well. Sure. Uh, but the big one for us was a game changer about six years ago, which was the wholesale program. Right. Um, and just to, so if I can sketch the picture a little bit, where LA was the largest agricultural county, it is now the largest gateway of produce uh, for the entire country and in many cases internationally. Mm-hmm. More produce flows through the city and county of LA in a single day than anywhere else on the entire continent. And that's kind of a crazy thing to imagine, but imagine. The food is coming up from Mexico. It's coming out of the Central Valley into LA. It's coming out of the Central Coast farms. Right. It's coming to our ports, Port Juanini and then San Pedro, and and a number of other avenues by which it is actually kind of um, held in the county for then wholesale distribution, where it's then blown out by trucks and every other method into every state in the union. That means that we have this incredible uh, abundance that's held here, but there was no professionalized method of gathering things that, again, might have a spot on them, might be the wrong shape, might be perfectly fresh, but there's a brand new shipment of bananas right behind it that's even fresher, so we're going to have to dump these. So Food Forward uh, in its uh, infancy was all about the backyard harvesting and the farmer's market, but we were getting calls regularly because we were... uh, um, search optimization Mm -hmm. from tropical fruit importers at San Pedro that said, Hey, can you guys use two containers of, of mangoes? And I'm like, what the fuck is a container of mangoes? Sure. And then I find out a container, container of mango is 48,000 pounds or 20 bigger than a bread box. Yeah. So we said, you know what? And by year six, we're like, we have this network of of it then was a couple of hundred agencies. If I make a few calls and some people can actually mobilize their trucks, we can broker the recovery of this produce without necessarily having to touch it. And what we started doing is we, we hired a gentleman who had many years experience in wholesale recovery mm-hmm. uh, from the charitable side and started building a team and a program, which we thought in year one would recover about uh, 300,000 pounds. That's, that would have been a success. Sure. It ended up recovering 4.1 million pounds in year one. Oh, that's so rad. And what it said to us is we have this tiger by the tail and we just grabbed it and try to like do as much as we could every year. And it kept growing and growing to the point where it's now become the, the major bulk of what we do. Interesting. And it allowed us. Yeah, it, it it's amazing because it's also a very reactive type of program. We yeah. get calls and texts starting at two in the morning, literally, because we work wholesale produce hours. And that's one of our a key elements that make the success of the program is we, the moment we get the text, we have a team of people that begin responding and begin dispatching trucks out to pick up pallets of this produce and then bring it into something that we opened last June called the Produce Pit Stop, mm-hmm. 
which is in the city of Bell in Southeast LA. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a temporary staging area for between, let's say, two hours or two days. But the produce just lands there. We aggregate it. We figure out which of our many agencies, which are now up to 200 direct and 1,600 indirect, so close to 2,000 agencies are fed by us mm -hmm. in nine counties. Wow. And so we, will, we, can, we can direct a container of bananas down to San Diego or um, you know, five pallets of cranberries up to Santa Barbara. And we can actually mix those pallets now. So it's not just a monocrop, but if we're sending a big truck out to a distribution we might be doing in Watts, they can have 10 types of produce on that truck. And so we recently opened the, the pit stop. We opened it in mid-June of last year. And it's been proving out to be a huge you know, time saver and capacity booster for us. And we continue to raise money to support that program because it is pretty unique. It is uh, basically a giant uh, cross-docking facility that can handle semi-tractor trailers. But all it is is an old mm -hmm. decommissioned warehouse with a giant refrigerator in it <laughs> and a bunch of pallet jacks and forklifts and a really crackerjack team of, of guys who know produce inside and out and wanted to go from the for-profit side into helping people in their community. That's awesome. And so it's it's been a really innovative thing for us and it's been a game changer without a doubt. But I guess, you know, to come back to it is what people really need to understand, whether they're listening to this podcast in Milwaukee or in LA, is the the scope of the problem, as you said, is something that can be solved. We have plenty of food. We have plenty of caloric. Sure. Uh, value to feed people. Food hunger is not a supply problem. It's a distribution problem. Yeah, And we're one of those bridges and kind of logistics organizations that just helps move the produce to where it's needed. We've retained mostly being a B2B you know, organization, sure. but we do um, reach out and have some direct distributions called produce pickups. Mm -hmm. Those are also on our website, uh, foodforward.org, that people can get involved in. But I think the, the big thing is if people understand, I think on the, on the macro level, that we have a ridiculous amount of waste that happens at all levels. But at the micro level, they, by simply eating and buying with intention, and right. I use that word very heavily, sure. it's one of my, I get teased in my office about that because I think the word intention and what you bring to a simple drop into the market. Do I buy the quart of milk? the half gallon of milk or the gallon of milk because it's cheaper. Right. Buy what you need is, is what I say and buy what you know you're going to consume. If we all did that and we all owned a bit more of the responsibility of not wasting a huge piece of this problem, I believe would be solved. I think it's, um, you know, we, we have this, many of us came from parents who either lived through the depression or some kind of poverty. And again, uh, we have this, they, they may have had a poverty mentality. And I think many of us kind of were, yeah, were gets, raised to have like, you know, it's hard to these Thanksgiving that. tables. Sure. Yeah. It's, so we, we now have Thanksgiving tables with 15 dishes right, on them right? and six people sitting around them. And sure. we're like, oh my God, that was a great meal, but I'm full. And instead right. of thinking of what we can do to mitigate the waste, it's, it's, we feel entitled to it. Sure. And I know that's a little bit, I can go off on a philosophical tangent, which I won't. But I do feel like our country, and I think where we're at as a country now is a direct product of this, is our sense of entitlement. Sure. Uh, because we can do it, we should do it. Right. You and, know? And, 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 and I, I, I just... Yeah, no, please. Yeah, I just, I don't think that's gotten us down uh, a really good path. And I think by uh, reclaiming some of our personal responsibility around issues like this, 
we can definitely make some massive changes. Will, will I say that hunger can be solved by what we do or food banks do alone? Absolutely not. I think there's a huge systematic piece around poverty sure. and, and our entitlement around making a profit no matter what it is. And that no matter what we make, we're, we should have that 60 screen, you know, 60 inch uh, flat screen TV in our house because we can buy it at Walmart for $290, right? I I think there's a whole lot of just like recalibration that has to happen. But I also think systems change in the food space is a piece of that. And when I say systems change is uh, if you wrap your head around the idea that you know, California, Los Angeles in particular is this holding tank for all this produce and that there's not a, either a governmental or professional agency that has mm-hmm. any, let's say, air traffic control mm-hmm. about what's coming in when so that when right now we begin this glut of Mexican grown Roma tomatoes, we will almost definitely sometime in the next month, if it hasn't happened already, get a call, a 911 call from the border at Mexico of multiple semi-trailers of Roma tomatoes. We're talking, you know, probably close to a half million pounds of these things that have been watered, fertilized, uh, harvested, transported, and then packaged and brought all the way to San Diego only to find out the bottom has dropped out of the Roma tomato market because there's overproduction. Mm -hmm. And so those Romas are going to be dumped. Sure. And so we get a 911 call where we as a, as a fledgling nonprofit with very few resources to go rescue this stuff right. can either choose to spend thousands of our dollars that really should be going to pay our staff, go to pay a third-party trucker so that that stuff doesn't get dumped into the trash. Right. And so like, I, I could sit here you, with you for hours and say, you know, dissect what's wrong with that. What's wrong with that is there is not a system higher up or a a governmental agency that actually looks at markets and the economics and and the harvest cycles and the planting sure. of all of the you know all the agricultural communities within uh, our region to to do some coordination or assessment sure. so that the bottom doesn't drop out of Roma and, tomatoes. And that's why and the, it's so complicated, yeah. right? It's not just yeah. stop throwing away the extra food you buy. That's part of it. It's it's don't just start picking ugly fruit. I mean, that's part of it. It's, it's, it is like we were saying at the beginning, it's, it is a complicated beast and, and it requires things like what you guys are doing and attacking it from where appeal sciences is attacking it and, and on, on so many different levels. But that's why it's, it's one of these rare things. Well, I mean, it's like a lot of the things we're dealing with today is going to require, uh, you know, personal level B2B stuff, uh, stuff on the agricultural and systems level. It's, it's complicated, but I mean, like you said, it's, it has grown to such a point, and this is the, where I was kind of going with the 435,000 pounds a week thing, is that, I mean, this is why reducing, or are you pr- familiar with the Project Drawdown at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, the number three on that right. is food Num- waste. Number three, and, and this is, you know, we, when we had a conversation with uh, Catherine Wilkinson, who, who, who's amazing, and, you know, she's a, she's a drawdown and, and uh, wrote a lot of that book, and when we talked with her about how educating girls and family planning are number six and number seven on that list. That's nothing to sniff at. I mean, six and seven on the list of issues and opportunities we have is pretty fucking high. And food waste is number three. It's like when people talk about, and again, that's not just like rural problems. That's specific to, to, to fighting climate change and reducing emissions to be number three means we've really fucked it up pretty good, but it's, you know, that also means it's a giant opportunity. And, and I I just want to frame it for people when, you know, 
I, I tried to, I played with, I talked to like four different people and played with a bunch of different calculators. And it seemed like 435,000 pounds a week ish is, is in the realm of carbon emission saved is like taking somewhere between 9,000 and 20,000 cars a year off the road. So yeah, ju- just to it's paint a picture stuff. for people. And that's one organization in Los Angeles. And, and that is, is instrumental and we have to keep doing things like that. But I, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, d- does your founding of it and how it's evolved over the past 11 years and how you attack it now, uh, does, does climate change play uh, into your mission? Is, is that something central to it? Uh, or is, is your direct day-to-day impact just kind of supersede that? No, I'm really glad you asked that. It's really funny. What, you know, I, I used to have this uh, motto when we first started uh, that, that it wasn't a win-win food forwards uh, um, you know, benefits, but it was a win to the fourth. That pantries got free produce, volunteers got this unique experience, homeowners got their harvest, trees harvested, and most importantly, people in need got produce. Within months, I realized it wasn't a win to the fourth, but it was a win to the 40th. Mm-hmm. And the climate change piece was numerous parts of that. Trees are actually healthier when their fruit is removed. Sure. It's, a, it's an energy suck, and they start putting that energy back into the tree if the fruit's not harvested. So it's the same thing but as any herb in your garden. It'll start to grow flowers if you don't actually use the stuff, and then it just, yeah. it's pointless. It's putting the energy into that. It's like trim the dead limbs. So I started really seeing that there was a number of really, like, I felt real benefits. But ironically, there was not easily accessible statistics or science to say what we were doing would help climate climate change. Ironically, uh, a few years into the Obama administration, we started seeing the EPA start putting out things like the Food Recovery Challenge, which really, again, when the government puts something out or a law gets passed, like the like California State put out um, a couple of laws around taking organic slash food waste out of the foods out of the garbage stream, mm-hmm. and they require it to happen. Suddenly, people wake up. Sure. And I was like, "This is amazing." So you started seeing metrics. We we were fortunate enough to, to win four uh, EPA Food Recovery Challenge awards in a row. That's the we're the only nonprofit in the nation to do that, and we did it not for the awards, but the awards really gave us a uh, platform on which to look at, you know, a, like a calculator they put together exactly what you're talking about of CO2 emissions and the metric tons, tons we were diverting, where we could then reach out to people and foundations, because we are funded by foundations and individuals for the most part, sure. to actually make a case that we are a climate change solution. Interesting. Project Drawdown validated that, but it was really, Quinn, about six years into our adventure where that information started coming out. And I'd say it's only been in the last two or three years where I'm actually able to speak to that with enough certainty and with enough data that we can really talk about Food Forward's work as a climate change mitigator with, with serious results. And again, we're one organization, but we're doing what you do for 10 cents a pound. It's a ridiculously yeah. um, inexpensive uh, organization to fund for the, the profit. We're also helping feed 2 million people in need, you know, which is, is all over, again, nine counties. So there's these great wins coming out of it. But I think we're just scratching the surface 
of the climate change piece. There is, uh, I mean, a lot of good data out there, but I feel like it's still a few years behind anything I can grasp onto with authority like I could about eating fruits and vegetables make you a healthier person. Sure. Look, from the 1950s, right. we've been seeing all kinds of things about have your have your veggies every day. Right. So we know that's that's real. But the I think people are now awoken to how bad and how quickly the decline of the climate situation is happening. And right. a lot of people are grasping at things. This, again, in a wonderful way, as an individual, you can make change. But as an organization, that is 100,000 pounds a day of produce that is not going into landfill. Right. That's Last year, it was 26 million pounds organizational-wide that was diverted. This year, it'll be closer to 30 million. And that's that's big stuff. Yeah. And that's how you move the needle. <laughs> that's a fucking understatement. And this is, you know, this is, this, I mean, what's, what's crazy too, and I think, uh, you know, as someone who used to document migrant farm workers in the beginning of my photography career and understanding what goes into industrial agriculture from the water and the soil amendments and the human labor, sure. which is a whole other podcast for us to yeah, do, yeah. and then to package it and transport it and all of those resources that then to throw this shit out. It's, how fucking shameful is that? No, it's, it's just fucking wrong. It, it's wrong. It's, so it's I just, so yeah. yeah. But that's how you get to number three on the list is like everyone does it and we're doing it at every level and we're doing it in, in so many places. And, and, and we are, we are as a country very bad with it. I mean, with most things, I mean, I mean, again, you could have an entire cyber conversation and, and I'm still trying to find the right way into talking about how fucked recycling is here, which is, you know, China was like, yeah, we're not going to do it anymore. And we we're like, oh my God, we don't know. We, we have no way to handle this shit or we don't know what to do with it. And it's a nightmare and people have no idea, but we're just happy to just keep ordering shit. So could you tell me kind of briefly what's unique about Los Angeles food waste versus other major cities similar in scope or complexity? We talked about, you know, how specific the fresh fruits and vegetables are here, which is always the thing that drives me crazy. I'm, I'm not, I'm originally from the East Coast. I've been here for 10 years. I'm, I'm, I have very complicated feelings about California. It does drive me crazy when people are, are like, oh, California's in another drought. Uh, and it's like, well, I wouldn't be so, have so much fun with it because also you're welcome for all of your fresh fruits and fucking vegetables. Yeah. Um, enjoy. Uh, but, you know, so we've talked about the fresh fruits and, and stuff, but what else makes it, I mean, again, we've, we've said on this show a thousand times, for the, for if you are not from here, it's very hard to understand. Los Angeles County is actually eighty eight fucking cities, so it's not yes. just the mayor yeah. says one thing and everything just happens. It's it, it's so complicated. But you know what else from your perspective over the past eleven years has painted a picture of, I guess where we're succeeding and where where we're having our most difficulties, and I guess where can that be applied other places? Well, again, I'm gonna I'll start at the the kind of ten thousand foot level. If you look at where we are with people in need. I'm going to say that we have a population in Los Angeles County and the contiguous six counties around us, mm -hmm. let's just call that Southern California. You have a population of food insecure individuals that equals the entire population of New Mexico. Right. I mean, start with that, right? That the economy has, quote, gotten better, that unemployment, quote, is, you know, at an all-time low, da-da-da. Sure. It's bullshit. Right. These are still, there's still people that are working three jobs to make ends meet. They're taking two buses to pick up their kids. I mean, and most living people, out of cars. Yeah. 
it's a really you know, the, the the basic economy and the basic survival of people has not gotten better. So that's a kind of a fundamental thing I want to just like put on the table. You set it aside, but you cannot. And I said it to set it to the side, but you cannot set it aside. Right. It is it is a fact by which the need has not decreased for what we do. In fact, we are still on a weekly basis getting agencies reaching out to us to say, "Can you help us?" There is also I think this understanding that we can use our food bank system as a dumping ground for non-perishable, often unhealthy cast-offs from a large corporation, mm -hmm. which then receives a massive tax break sure. for it, like dollar for dollar. And you have a situation, again, in, in the tax situation where if you are Chipotle and you are donating 100 burritos, you're getting a tax break for the full retail price of those burritos. Mm -hmm. But if you're a farmer who raised the carrots or raised the rice or raised the cilantro that goes into those burritos, you are getting pennies on the dollar, if that, for your donation. So the incentivization around the philanthropic helping of this food system inequality is totally out of whack. And there are some people like Folks, uh, I'm trying to remember, Congresswoman uh, P uh, Pengree mm -hmm. up in Maine, mm -hmm. who's doing some really good work around this. And there's a really great organization called Refed, which has recently formed. And they're, you know, nationwide, maybe international, mm -hmm. uh, refed.com that really are trying to, like, get into the, some of the systematic issues mm -hmm. of, you know, inequality. But I think we have to, like, understand the deck. The deck is stacked in certain ways for pro-corporate donations, which again, are not necessarily the healthiest way to get people to eat. And when you get down to things like basic nutritional food that people need, there's not an incentivization for those donations. So that's, that's a big piece of it. And I just, I feel like we have to uh, look at, as California, at least as a Californian, we have always led the way on how we look at these systems. And sure. it's not just that LA is the microcosm for all this produce, but California, on average, still is 50% the producer of fruits and vegetables for the rest of the country. If you, right. if you go to uh, you know, uh, West Virginia or if you go to you know, Nebraska, half of the produce in those stores has come through this state. Yeah. So I think we have not just a responsibility, but we also have the leverage to, to do some of the systems change work and this innovative thinking. Sure. And well, again, it, you know, it's almost like how California and the, and the Southwest in general has so much to learn on uh, water efficiency and water use from someplace like Israel, which is like, yeah, we've been in a drought for 3000 fucking years. You know, we've we've had to figure out how to use water. And, and guess what? The Colorado is like half as high as it used to be. And we're all fighting over water rights. But we need to learn from some of these places. And, 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 and hopefully Southern California can pull our shit together on, on things like this so that we can provide an example on things like that as well. I, I totally agree. And I, I'm, I would encourage people listening to this podcast to kind of say, well, what can I do at a larger level, which to me is educate yourself and support organizations like Food Forward sure. that are making change on a big scale, but also what can I do as an individual in my daily life? Yeah. You know, look, I still, we're not in a drought, but I'll tell you, I still keep a bucket next to my shower and every morning when I'm heating up the water for my shower, which could be a gallon or two or three, depending on the day, yeah. that water is captured and it goes into my garden. I just, it's funny, even though the, the, the drought was officially over a year or two ago, that became a habit that I could not 
get out of. And I really wince. Like if I'm at a hotel and I can't do that, I actually like my body tenses up and I know it's ridiculous because you just, you got to let go of it sometimes, but it became a habit in the way that I have my routine where I knew that I was doing something in my daily ritual that was taking waste and turning it into something. Yeah, and I was diverting it into something positive. And, it's, and we all can do that. Sure. And it's, it is quite literally, and, and most of the time I and, and so many other people use literally wrong. It is quite literally a drop in the bucket, what you're doing, but it, 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 it matters to have a foot in the game. And obviously uh, you do, you do that in, in so many other ways, but, but those things do matter. And it's also completely insane. I mean, we all just, turn on our shower and stare at it waiting for it to warm up. Be like, that's drinking water. Like it's fucking crazy. But yeah, that's the exactly. type of shit that we've we've become entitled to over the past hundred years. So before we get into those specific action things that people can do and talk, I want to talk a little bit about what sort of people have started to work for you. Tell me a little bit about the biggest obstacles your organization continues to run into on a day-to-day basis, whether that's central to the food system or specifically what you guys do or just... Uh, Los Angeles specifically, because it's not all just like grapefruit drinking mimosa parties. Like it's got to be pretty hard. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Those, I got to tell you, it's been a long time since I've had a grapefruit drinking mimosa party, but on that note, we actually have a big one coming up on April 4th. Awesome. Just just a side note, it's called the spring melt and that's our annual fundraiser. I call it an anti-gala because there's no white tablecloths. There's no rubber chicken dinners. It's gourmet grilled cheese and amazing cocktails, often made with grapefruit or or many other things, but none of the stuff that we harvest because 100% goes to the hungry on that. But it is a way for people in the LA area to get out, learn about us, support us. It's a really affordable ticket. Uh, April 4th in the evening at Henson Studios, it's an opportunity to get inside the uh, historic uh, Chaplin stage there, which is a great thing. The food is amazing. The spirit is great. And it's uh, it's a great night out. So that's April 4th. That uh, Tickets for Absolutely. that on our website. We'll, we'll put that so. in, our, uh, in our show notes, too. That's super cool. Great. Um, so, yeah. But, but what's, but what's, the what's issue, hard? Yeah. What's the shit that drives you crazy? Capacity. So, People you are... know, it, it, no, capacity is kind of this word that's this blanket word they use in nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You know, that you get a grant for capacity boosting. And it's very well-meaning. And sometimes it's a year or two or three-year grant. But it's basically to grow your organization. Mm-hmm. And, and look, that's a really healthy thing. But we also, as nonprofits, have this starvation mentality ourselves, where you get a funder or you get, a, um, you get an institution that supports you for a limited amount of time, and then that money goes away. And it goes away in a way that they've, they've made it so the grant is about building a new program or building new capacity. But what they don't realize, ironically, is that when that money goes away, you have to spend twice as much energy to support those new people who you are paying to do the work. Mm -hmm. And so the funding streams for nonprofit is still a very dysfunctional thing. And I'd say that we, we have the ability, I would think, maybe not at the moment, but over time to probably double what we do in the way of food rescue. Instead of 25 to 30 million pounds of fresh produce a year, we could probably do 40 to 50. And I don't say that lightly. We've actually had people study it. We now have the relationships. We now get the calls. We are turning away produce weekly Hmm. because we can't fit it through our pipeline. Why? Because I I have a staff of 35. I can't afford to make that a staff of 50 or 60 right now because I don't have 
the regular income streams. Mm-hmm. We, we do fundraising with foundations. We do fundraising with individuals. You yourself are, are a, a very um, a great supporter. And I say that not just because you donated once, but you became a monthly donor with us, which is wonderful because that's like longevity. Sure. That's like the jackpot. And right. it doesn't matter if someone joins us at five bucks or 500 bucks a month. That monthly income stream is something we get to depend on so we can build the capacity. Yeah. So capacity slash fundraising becomes this kind of hamster wheel mm-hmm. that those of us in nonprofit are constantly running on and trying to figure out a way without getting too codependent on any one source mm-hmm. of how do we diversify the streams and how do we get the individuals of high net worth, the foundations with deep pockets, those that have, again, a systems change desire to see what we're doing grow and, and reach more regions within the United States, dig in deep and say, okay, here's a five-year grant. Sure. You know, obviously, there'll be, there'll be checks along the way, so you're not going to take that money and, and you know, go someplace down the rabbit hole with it. Mm-hmm. Totally get that. But that you can give us a runway so that I, as the executive director, do not have to spend 40 50 60% of my day yeah. raising money. Sure. You know, right. it's really one of those things. I can be solving problems. I can get into the system yep. change work. I can hire staff that are just incredible um, and not have to feel, uh-oh, what happens six months from now when the grant ends or, you know, X, Y, or Z is happening and I have to worry more about the day-to-day um, keeping our lights on. So I, I do wish that in our cycle, we were finding more institutional and foundations and individuals that really uh, understood that vision. and. And there are more and more of them as we grow. We couldn't get to where we're at as a a $3 million organization. But what's kind of important for people to understand is at a $3 million um, organization, we generate a value in produce of close to $50 million. Wow. I mean, that's just the fact of, you know, a value of of a pound of food as Feeding America values it is around $1.60, $1.70. So it's an incredibly economical thing. And then you've got this wonderful climate, you know, um, uh, diversion element as well. So I think that, that again, capacity and fundraising are two of the things that we grapple with the most. It's interesting. I've, uh, in, in 2008, one of my young cousins was diagnosed with leukemia and I, and, 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 uh, was very close to her. And I thought, it just struggled with sort of one of the first times in my life going like, I feel very helpless in this situation um, because I'm not a uh, a scientist, much less like a cancer scientist or a doctor or anything like that. Like, h- how do I help? And I realized, oh, I can sweat. You know, like I swam and played baseball in college. Like this is <laughs> basically a, a Sherpa. Like what's the one thing I can do? So I went and I raised a bunch of money with team and training with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And it seemed... uh but we raised a ton of money and it seemed very novel at the time, you know, that people could donate online. Um, and, and it was like, Oh my God, Quinn's, Quinn's doing this thing and, and, and he's running a race and we can throw money at it. And, and that's great. And it was very cool. And now 12 years later between politics and, and act blue and GoFundMe and all the different ways the, the world is on fire and, uh, you know, funding court cases for kids in cages at the borders and, 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 fresh fruit rescue and climate and the ACLU and ocean. Cause it's it, people are being pulled and institutions and, and family offices are being pulled in 10,000 different directions every fucking day. 
And yep. so I, I, it, it is both so much more accessible um, for people to do that and easy, which is wonderful. These organizations are, 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 are being funded and new organizations exist, whether it's run for something or swing left or, or, or people like you where it used to be like, what, I got to put a check in the mail and now you can put a monthly donation from your phone. It's, it's, it's amazing. But that means it's, it's really hard to get people to focus and to, to sell them on your, on your story. Um, so I, I commend you for what you've been able to do, but I'm, I, I guess I empathize from the fact of, I, I, you know, work informally with a lot of these folks and advise them and I contribute, I try to contribute to as many as I can where it makes sense, but it's, it's hard. It's hard because there's yeah. so much fucking going on. Uh, and, and it's so hard well, to convince people. Well, I, I commend you on, on, um, the leukemia fundraiser. I did the AIDS ride the first year from San Francisco to LA. And oh, there was nice. something about that, which was not, I wasn't just sending them a check, but I actually got my ass took months and months of training, but I got my ass in a bike and every bike, every mile I rode, which was about 500 miles, you feel you own, you understand that situation that yeah. much better. Yeah. And I think doing that kind of double-headed thing, that's one of the things also with Food Forward I feel really fortunate about. We are a high-impact organization, so you send us your dollars, you're going to see ridiculously sure. positive sure. benefits. But you can get out and volunteer with us in a multitude of ways once or become a, a leader where once a month we're counting on you to help be a, an ambassador and do sure. this great work. And so there's this civic engagement and there's this, this kind of high-impact you know, wholesale stuff which are married really for the first time. And that's one of kind of, I, I call it a part of our secret sauce is individuals can feel that childhood glee that I felt being up in a tree and being five years old, harvesting oranges that, you know, two hours later of feeding a, a hungry immigrant family, or you can actually open and, or you can open your wallet. And we love when sure. people do both. We'll, we'll, we'll but take I, whatever, I, wanted yeah. to ask, I wanted to ask you a question, Quinn, because you, you're, you're, um, investment, if you will, into Food Forward uh, this past holiday season was was wonderful. It was one of those things that like, I get those reports every day when they come in. And it's like, who is this guy? And But I, I, I'm talking to you for the first time. Sure. And I like, what made you say, hey, I want to I wanna invest and support this organization? You know, that's a great question. Um, uh, my wife and I have, have worked or we're, we're very lucky to, we work very hard at, at what we do in our, in our day jobs. Um, and, and we are somewhat uh, fairly for the industry uh, compensated well for it. Um, it's still a very high, high cost of living in Los Angeles, but we feel very lucky and we know very like we're very lucky to be look uh, in Los Angeles, basically upper middle class white people, which is not the case for most people here uh, by, by any stretch. And I come from uh, Virginia and uh, my town is, is, Fairly well to do in parts, but in, in parts isn't. My my schools were 70 percent uh, African American, and and there there are so many kids on free lunch, uh, dealing with that, and and you can just transpose that over to Los Angeles, where it's it's incredible. I mean, it's it's shocking. We have you know homelessness is growing every year at eighteen percent. We have six thousand vets on our streets. I mean, vets, which is completely insane to me. Our vet, our, our vets should have like, besides they have shitty healthcare, they should have like sci-fi level healthcare, whatever they want, Absolutely. Yeah, whatever they want. But, but instead we have 6,000 fucking vets on our street on top of everyone else. And people always joke, Oh, well, the homeless people come to California because the weather's nice. It's like, Oh, n nope. 
the the fucking research uh, puts it out there. Ninety percent of 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 homeless people uh, in Los Angeles became homeless here, became impoverished here because it is completely unaffordable. And guess what? Then they've got nowhere to fucking go. Uh, you know, they're under the over leave Los Angeles. They, they came to leave under the overpass. So I am. Uh, that's all to say. I I I have tried over the past few years to to hone and and focus, but also expand uh, where my wife and I are contributing and where we can convince our other friends who are lucky to be in a similar position to contribute. Um, again, it does feel like you're being pulled in a thousand different directions, but I think finding the things I'm, I'm I love data <laughs> very much. Uh, um, it's not always about the data, but finding the people and the organizations that are extremely effective um, is, is really key to that using resources where you can, like uh, if it fits like charity navigator or give well uh, to learn about giving and, and how it can be effective and what makes sense um, and applying that on international and national and, and, and in your case, local levels is, is very important to me because you can't, you can't just walk the streets of this town and not doing anything about it. There's, there's nothing that makes me angrier. Um, it, it is, it is an incredible injustice. So I, I, we're lucky to feed our kids healthy lunches every day. There's a lot of kids in this town that don't have anything even remote, have, have access remotely like that. So if there's, you know, like an organization like yours that is literally <laughs> funneling, funneling very effectively fresh fruits and vegetables um, from trees on Laurel Canyon uh, at 9 a.m. And, and, and feeding people at, at 1 p.m., it's, it's like, my God, like, why, why wouldn't you contribute to that? I, I think of or, other organizations and there's so many that we won't name, but like Hollywood Food Coalition that are just doing uh, just incredible jobs and, and you have to do it. It's where you live. Like, why would you not try to make that better? So that's my rant about, about why. And Well, that's great. And as, yeah, as, no, it's always, I think it's important to get the insight of the folks that support you because again, you get solicitations right and left. I get them and, and you make choices on how to do it. And to me, it's always interesting talking to donors. This is actually... A conversation I often have on a phone call after we we get a new donor uh, to introduce the organization and find out and to do it on the on a public yeah. podcast is kind of cool. So I appreciate you indulging me. No, for sure. Me. And honestly, it, you know, I, I forgot, but I, I think also part of the reason was I had asked some friends who are very involved in things and who have either been here longer or have been uh, in in touch with what they've been trying to do for for longer here um, about organizations where where my own kids can get involved, and and I think they're actually still too. They they mentioned oh food forward does the harvests and things and my kids are actually still too young for it but you know I, they need to be involved and and they understand that and we try to get them involved they have lemonade stands for Alex's lemonade stand and and they you know protest and they do what they can but obviously at a point um, small children are clearly a liability but uh, you know that was something that we'll was appealing those, to us yeah that was something that was we'll appealing those, to us uh, as, as well so. Great. We will get those fruit monkeys up in the trees. Oh, yeah. uh, as soon as they I'll be happy to do it. Um, and I won't actually be, be surprised at how many um, how many families actually we see you kind of that multi generational connection where they want their kids to do something. They bring them out either on a school event or a group harvest or just you know one to one, and and then you're like you look around like where's dad? Well now dad's up in the tree. Yep. Yep, hundred percent. He's tossing the grapefruits down right. to the kids who right. are cleaning them off and putting them in the box. And it's just this wonderful moment where, you know, again, this this middle aged guy who's got two or three kids uh, who are eight, you know old enough to come to the harvest, but they can't get up in the tree. But dad like has found his inner child sure. and becomes like, I'm going to pick my weight in fruit today. And I just 
I've seen it many times and I love it because there's a sense of discovery and the sense of education. And these kids are getting a, a firsthand knowledge of where their food comes from. Yeah. It grows on a tree and it's not in, it's not infinite. That tree has a cycle, that tree yeah. has needs, that tree has a lifespan. And then they're also understanding that they can carry that box into our truck or onto the truck of the food pantry that's picking it up. And they can have that connection of, of what we call fruitanthropy, not philanthropy, <laughs> but fruitanthropy, which is the, um, you know, the, the giving of produce for, for, um, humanitarian needs. Sure. And they get to be part of that cycle. And I find that something in my own subversive way. If you can sneak that into a kid's mind, mm -hmm. especially with their parents' approval and their parent beside them, and you can do it once or twice or three times, it's going to stick. Yeah. Because there's a feeling in that, that selflessness, that sense of, of actually being part of something bigger than yourself that's pretty priceless. And by no means does Food Forward have a patent on that, but all of the activities we do factor into that and amplify it. Yeah, and, and it's the organizations that can that can make that connection, and some are clearly and, and understandably more difficult than others. Uh, it's so effective. I mean, again, one of the organizations we, we really love and support is Alex's Lemonade Stand. And they do such a yeah, good job of saying like, look, kids might only raise, you know, anywhere from 20 to a 50 or whatever dollars on their lemonade stand if they're lucky. But they, you know, do a good job of, of kind of showing like, hey, kids, you know, like $50 is an hour of research, you know, whatever it might be. And that just helps paint a picture and help helps them grasp and understand and deal with that the feeling of what they're trying to do. So um, I, I want to dive into these specific action steps here. So but before we get to actually literally how they can uh, volunteer with you or, 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 or spend their money with you, we talk about uh, how people can use their voice because one of our goals is to shine a light on where we can go as a people. So what would you say are the one, two, three actionable specific questions we should be asking of our representatives? And it feels like we should be pretty uh, local focused uh, for this conversation. Yeah, well, I'd say, you know, California state legislature is a little bit ahead, not a little bit, they're very much ahead of the curve. And I've uh, had the good fortune, Food Forward's had the good fortune of building a relationship with CalRecycle, which is a cap and trade agency that takes the money from cap and trade and puts it into granting programs for clean air, clean water. And guess what? A few years ago, they said food waste and organics waste was a big enough issue that needed a big buckets of money. If people want to get to their state legislator and say, please support continual funding of the food waste grants that are going through our state legislature with money. Look, we, we've seen two grants come from them that have been game changers. And this is the type of money that we don't see. They're six-figure grants that are multi-year. There's a lot of work to get them, and there's a lot of reporting to keep them. But they allow us to take bold initiatives and make them happen like the produce pit stop. Mm -hmm. Those types of support, and again, it could be a call, it could be a letter to your, your, your state assembly person and just say, hey, I heard about the great work that's happening through CalRecycle around food waste. Can, can you keep those grants happening? Because if they don't see the needle move on that, if they don't get the public support, those grants go away. And those parts, those, that public money, which becomes a good chunk of Food Forward's budget, will evaporate. Sure. So that's something they can do. I do also think there's a, there's an organization that I'm on the leadership circle of called the LA Food Policy Council. Uh, goodfoodla.org is the website. 
they have a myriad ways in which people are interested in food, healthy eating, sustainability, and climate change and food waste can get involved, whether it's actually showing up for working group meetings, Mm -hmm. volunteering to be parts of actions and initiatives. They help convert corner stores into healthier, more dynamic, more community-based establishments. So the LA Food Policy Council, which was one of, if not the first food policy council that became the model for national replication, is still going strong. And I think there's a a lot of ways people can get involved with that. Cool. Um, So those are like the two things that come to mind. Okay, that's that's super helpful. So uh, we've hinted it a little bit, we've talked about it, but um, what are ways uh, uh, our listeners who are, you know, spread around the world, but we've certainly got a healthy number of California and LA folks, uh, what can they do with, uh, their, their body and their, and their dollar to, uh, to help, uh, your mission? Well, I would say, let's start with the folks, uh, who, who may not be in LA or in LA, but, but your whole, your whole audience could help by making a donation to food forward at foodforward.org. We uh, received last year um, donations from over 40 states because people understood, again, that that California equation of what happens in California and the food chain affects the entire nation. Mm -hmm. And our food did reach last year people as far away as Arizona Mm. and Las Vegas and Seattle because of surplus that we couldn't absorb in SoCal. We were able to broker to partners up in areas that were in need. So our food gets pretty much all over uh, the Southern California region, but on many occasions it goes well beyond. So if they want to support us with a financial donation, that's great. But if you're in the Southern California region, we have an office in Ventura, which services all the way up to Santa Barbara. We have a SoCal office that basically has events that go from Long Beach and Palos Verdes all the way through the county and beyond. Uh, by signing up at foodforward.org and putting in your zip code, you will find upwards of 200 events every single month that could use your volunteer sweat. And you can you can come once or you can actually um, sign on as a, as a volunteer leader where once a month we have you leading something in your neighborhood so you don't have to schlep to another part of the county. And the trainings are happening uh, virtually every month and you can do stuff harvesting trees. You can do stuff at our farmer's market program. You can do stuff as a community ambassador. You can do stuff at our spring melt again, which is coming up April 4th. But volunteering has many shapes and sizes and, and ages. You know, we have a, a wonderful need for folks who are just newly retired. We understand there's this great energy, wisdom, and passion that comes with folks who are newly retired. So if you're kind of like winding down from a job and wondering what you're going to do, hit foodforward.org and you're going to find a multitude of ways to help. But I would say, um, you know, from a financial level too, let's say you run a, a small company or a corporation and you want to be part of a sustainable solution, we do team building events where you can bring out 10 to 50 people. And for a modest donation, you can get them engaged for a half a day and doing really cool stuff that they literally feel part of the solution. But you could also sponsor our spring melt at any level of $1,000 on up and get the notoriety and get tickets to the event and really start to be part of the Food Forward community. So sponsorship at the melt, is uh, a great way to uh, to get your company out there and, and be seen. So those are just a handful of ways. But our website, we get a, we've won awards for the website. We get a lot of kudos for it. It's really easy to maneuver. It has very strong social um, channels. And by following us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, 
you can also be getting a lot of information on what's the latest and greatest. And, and you know, some of the troubling news, like uh, there's a citrus quarantine here, or there's a drought there. We actually feel it's our responsibility to get good and, and bad news out to our community at large. And so we use our, so- our social channels really robustly as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's all super helpful. And we will, of course, put all of that in our show notes for folks. Rick, we can't thank you enough for your time today and everything you do. I just want to take you through our our last. Brian uh, has told me I'm not legally allowed to call it a lightning round, but last few questions here uh, real quick. When was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Oh, that's that's a good one. And I will flash back to sixth grade. We had a teacher who spent uh, close to a semester breaking some ground. And this was, okay, I'm, I'm going to date myself. This was in the er, mid-70s. Mm-hmm. And she was teaching about MLK and about civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddies were, we were rebel rousers. We were not like bad kids. We actually were, were smart kids of um, high, high intelligence. We at least to think we were. But we also questioned authority from the, from the word go. Mm-hmm. And this woman, in effect, indirectly encouraged that. So when we were doing, uh, I don't know if, if you ever took part in, in uh, collecting or trading racing stickers, you know, from these really cool, they were really colorful stickers that would, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd write away to, a, uh, you know, a, like a stock car manufacturer and they'd send you mm-hmm, these stickers mm-hmm. and whoever got the coolest ones, you'd, you'd go out on the playground and trade them. more baseball cards and magic cards, but I'll take it. Yeah. So it was, it was of the same ilk. Mm-hmm. We, we traded racing stickers and the, so, somehow an edict came down from high up at the school that that was no longer allowed. And we lost our shit. And basically what we did is five of us had a sit-down strike in the principal's office in demand of our stickers being returned first because they, they confiscated them and then for the rules to be changed. The sit-down strike did not end well on our behalf. <laughs> we, we basically got these incredibly angry calls from our parents that scared the shit out of us. Sure, sure. And we, we kind of, we tucked tail and, and left that sit down strike of about five hours, mm-hmm. but it was a stake in the ground. And I'll tell you, one of my buddies from that went on to be, you know, uh, an amazing attorney who now does legal defense for earth justice. He just argued his first Supreme court case this year. I have gone on to food forward and other, um, you know, rebellious activities, Sure, but it, it basically gave us the sense of, of, of questioning authority and the power of saying no when we felt there was an injustice being done. Um, I love it. Well, uh, you know, going from uh, playing cards to uh, feeding millions of people fresh grapefruit uh, works for me. We will uh, <laughs> we will take it. Hey, uh, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Uh, there's a gentleman. So my, my past life was a documentary photographer. And in addition to doing my own projects, I was often hired to profile or do uh, reports or, or work for other uh, nonprofits. And I came across a lot of heroes and a lot of really interesting people. And one of them who's still fighting a great fight is named Michael O'Gorman. Okay. And he runs uh, the Farmer Vet uh, Coalition. And what he has done for well over a decade is as a former farmer, he used to do a lot of work with Del, with Del Cabo, which is a really great um, large farming operation that works in a SoCal in Mexico. They're actually a big donor of ours. But before we knew Del Cabo, I knew Michael. And I got to spend a few days with him watching him take vets who were coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq 
and unlock their potential to be farmers and deep contributors to our society in a way that was so metaphoric and so symbolic and so beautiful. And he did this on a shoestring and he did it with no money. And then he slowly built this nonprofit into what is now a national organization. And he remains um, a model for, for um, someone who can do and who has vision. That's pretty awesome. Uh, thank you for calling him out. Uh, last two, super quick. Um, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What's your self-care? Oh, boy. I'm a burner. Okay. I go to Burning Man ah, every year. Okay. Uh, and so, so there, there's a number of activities that that has kind of brought to me. Is I, I have found uh, great solace in going out dancing with friends at, at oddest hours, oddest places, and and all kinds of, of, of different um, ways of approaching life through that activity. So dancing is actually something that's big. I also, um, about five years ago, um, picked up uh, steel guitar. I've never cool. played an instrument in my life. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the steel guitar. Sure. But it's, yeah, that great instrument that, that you hear basically accompany Hank Williams on every song he ever made. Mm-hmm. And that to me holds a certain place in Americana um, that's really quite melodic. And I'm, I'm dyslexic, so playing a regular guitar and not seeing a fretboard has always been a, tr- a struggle. So I've never done that. Um, but I picked up steel guitar about four or five years ago. I'm not very good at it, but it is a, a regular weekly, many, actually about an hour ago before I started this interview, I was, I was playing. Um, and it's just something that kind of grounds me. It gets me out of my, my intellectual mind and is purely about sound touch and being in the moment. Awesome. I love it. Um, yeah, we've had all kinds of responses on that from forest bathing to video games, to, uh, ice cream and alcohol, and we'll take steel guitar. That works. Um, last one, if you could Amazon prime one book to, uh, Donald Trump, what would that book be? I don't know the title of it, but there's a book, I believe, that Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama wrote on empathy. Okay. And I think, I, you know, in closing, everything about uh, what I aspire to do as a person and what Food Forward is about is about empathy. And if there could be a kernel of empathy injected into that, that regime mm-hmm. that could take root, to me, that would be an amazing thing. It has been such a challenging time to watch action after action that reflects none of that, that, that to me, um, that would be the, the, the piece that I would send over the transom. I love it. Um, yeah. Empathy can move mountains. It is instrumental as we are, as we are going forward. Awesome. Well, we will figure out what that book is and we will throw in the show notes as well. Um, uh, Rick, can't thank you enough uh, for your time today. Uh, where are the technicals of where our listeners can find you guys online? Uh, we are at foodforward.org. Um, we are at Food Forward LA on Twitter. We are at Food Forward on Facebook. And all the information about volunteering, donating, sponsoring, whatnot is, is right there. We try to keep it simple, one-stop shopping. And um, yeah, I can be reached through the website as well. My email is up there under our team if anyone had any questions or wants to get in touch. And uh, so appreciate what you guys are doing with this podcast. I am, I have to say, a new convert, but what I've been able to listen to this week, I just, you know, 
I'm, I'm flattered to have been uh, given the opportunity to be kind of a, a guest on it. So thank you so much. Oh, will you say that now? Give it time. Um, <laughs> uh, well, Wait till I hear the edited version of this, yeah, right? It's going to be a monstrosity. Uh, well, listen, yeah. Uh, yeah, we already have to like fake Brian in here somehow. Uh, Rick, thank you so much. Uh, and for, to everyone at your organization for, for what you guys are doing. Uh, excited to get out there with you guys in person. And uh, yeah, that's it. We will, uh, we will follow up and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you so much, Quinn. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at important, not imp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at important, not important. Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us. You know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.